you know, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We'll be there in just a minute. I, uh, one of those weird weeks this week, it's like, uh, it's Easter and it's one of the, it's the biggest event of the, of the year, right? We got to be here together. And, uh, Friday morning I woke up and felt like a truck ran me over and just had, uh, just aches and pain. I felt like a bowling ball was on top and replaced in my head and I, it was just so much pressure. Like I got sick, I'm sick. And so I've been staying away from people and if you come near me, that's fine. But I would just let you know, you don't want to have what I have had what I still have, but uh, I knew, like, I, I, you know, usually you call the elders and say, listen, you always have a, a sermon in your back pocket, but not always have an Easter sermon in your back pocket, so, you know, it's, and I've, I've really wanted to preach for a long time on Easter, so I, uh, I'm excited about today, um, and I know that uh, where I'm weak, the Lord will be strong, and we'll, we'll let uh, him provide my energy, and my, uh, my tank will be filled right now as I bring the Word of God from Luke 24. Uh, it's an exciting day to be here together. Exciting day to rejoice uh, in the risen Savior and to, uh, to really reflect on what that means for us. And I hope you can do that today as we prepare here. Uh, I'm going to have a word of prayer and just, uh, just pray for uh, things going on in our country, pray for things around the world, pray for uh, maybe needs I, I know of that are happening um, here soon. But uh, just, let's just have a time of prayer. Father, we, we're here today to gather and to rejoice in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And while that's what we do every Sunday, Father, at Easter, it's even more prominent that it's more in our minds and in our hearts to help us focus on him today, focus on Jesus. He's not a dead Savior, he's a living Savior. And God, as we do, that you would open our hearts and minds to the power of the resurrection and what, what exactly you've accomplished for us. And God, as we... As we meet and gather today, we, we do pray that your spirit would be in our midst, God, convicting us of sin and, and moving us to a place of repentance and obedience. God, that you would be doing something in our hearts individually. You would, you would stir something by the power of your spirit that we would uh, desire to grow in, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we would grow to know him more, or, to, or maybe for some, to know him for the first time ever. God, it's no accident that each one of us is here today. We're right where you intended us to be. This is a divine appointment. God, I thank you for those in our church family who, who've had victories recently or God, who have everything to be happy about and their praise reports are, are loud. But God, for those who are in our church family in our midst, God, that are struggling or suffering, maybe an illness, God, we pray that you would be near to them, that you would comfort them that the peace of Christ would reign in their hearts and minds and in their bodies. And God, you would bring about healing. God, we trust you for that. God, I know there, there are folks here with upcoming surgeries. We pray that you'd be with those doctors and that helping them through, God, that there would be vitality and life back in their bodies again. God, we pray for the family members of, of Julie. Lord, I, I pray that you would just be comforting them and drawing them near. God, we pray for our church family who, who mourns and grieves but also rejoices in this loss, and God who will celebrate her life and ultimately celebrate Jesus on the 22nd, we, we pray for that to be about the glory of God. God, today we pray as, as thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of churches are gathering all throughout the world. God, we, pr we pray for those that are in countries that, that aren't so warm and inviting. 
God, there are many who have Easter services in hiding today or underground today. God, there, there are many that are meeting today who have been threatened with violence or attack. And God, we know the enemy wants to, wants to attack. Death wants to attack life. Darkness wants to attack the light. God, we pray for steadfastness in our brothers and sisters around the world, that you would give them courage and strength, knowing that the darkness cannot overcome the light. The light of Jesus reigns and rules forever. We thank you for that. God, guide us now as we look to the text. We look to the account of your resurrection. God, the hearts of the disciples who follow you. God, I pray that you would help us see us here as well. That you help us apply this to our own lives. That we might be more devout and devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Luke 24. I'll get there in just a minute. Um, as I approached the text for today, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of options, right? If you want to preach an Easter sermon, you've got to go to the Easter accounts, and uh, that's where we are. But I kept going back to this passage uh, in Luke 24, and in fact, your notes will probably have that mistakenly uh, wrong it w- uh, later on when it says Mark 24. It's not Mark 24, it's Luke 24. Uh, you can change that now or later. Um, but I was, I was drawn to this, and, and as I read through this, um, there are several times that there are descriptive words that are used to, to reveal what a dead Savior is good for. And so today we're going to kind of compare and contrast a dead Savior with a living Savior. And I think it's very, very important for us to know because as we approach Easter, we're here today on, on the Resurrection Sunday. We have a Savior who is alive. Our God, in fact, is not dead. And for some of you, you may absolutely realize the power of that, but for others, you may still be trusting in dead saviors and still be looking for a different answer. But I have the answer for you today. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is alive. So as you look through this account in Luke, I'm going to read, uh, read that in just a minute. There's a lot of descriptive words, and and our Bible study on Sunday mornings, uh, Jeff and I teach a Sunday school class. We're going through the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, um, it's, it's talking about the early church. And this, there's just such a, a difference in, in the countenance of the disciples from this account in Luke to the account we find in Acts. And so something changed. And what I would say and what Scripture reveals is that what changed in the life of these disciples was the risen Savior showed himself to them. That he stood in their midst and said, touch my hands, touch my side, it is I. I am here, I'm not a ghost, I have risen from the grave, I have conquered. And and that is the theme, that that is the glory of Scripture, that is the glory of the gospel message. And in fact, as we see today, it, it will be worth nothing, it will be worthless to us if Christ did not in fact rise from the dead. Uh, this is part of our sermon series, Have You Not Read? And so when Jesus makes those comments to the religious leaders, haven't you read this? Don't you know? Shouldn't you understand uh, what's going on here? Because you've read this in scriptures. We've been doing that quite a bit recently, right? We've been looking at Old Testament uh, prophecies that point forward to Jesus Christ and say, here's what it said about Jesus before Jesus even was born and lived, right? And so we pointed forward to him. Well, we see that in his resurrection too. I'm only going to share one uh, account in Isaiah for you uh, real briefly. And then there are others, but but it's not really the focus today. The focus is the fact that he rose and what the power of the resurrection is about. The prophecy is from Isaiah 53. 
Um, this was about the suffering servant. That, that he, they're describing crucifixion and describing the death and, and the rejection of Jesus Christ uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born and before he was crucified. But then he says this in, in, towards the end or middle of Isaiah 53 in 10 and 11. He says, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Crush Jesus, right? The wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ for you and for me. Jesus didn't deserve any wrath. He had done nothing wrong. We had done something wrong. And Jesus said, I'll take their sin. I'll take their penalty. I'll die on their behalf. I'll die the death they deserve. And Jesus did that for you. And the wrath of God, God was pleased to crush Jesus severely. Uh, when you make him a guilt offering, and here's what it says. There's three things here. He, that is the Lord Jesus, will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by the hand, or by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. So what we're seeing here is that, yes, there's anguish. There is death. There is God's wrath upon Jesus. Jesus really died because the wages of sin is death. But what this shows us prophetically before Christ ever rose from the grave is that he will, even though he dies, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and he will see light. This is prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're going to look at today is, is Luke, and we're going to look at the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to read it. It's, I'm reading all of Luke 24, the entire thing. Uh, keep up, follow along, or just listen if you want to in your, in your own heart there in mind. Uh, but think about some descriptive words that, that the disciples, that you could use to describe the disciples uh, as, they, as they were um, kind of reeling about their dead Savior. Jesus is dead, so what did that make them feel? All right, we're in Luke 24, <coughs> beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and, uh, and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what had happened. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is the dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and, and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? What things? He asked them. 
So he said to them, they said to, them, said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them all the things concerning him, about, uh, concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near to the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther, but they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he, uh, it was as he reclined at the table with them, and he took the bread, uh, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those uh, with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he, how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is, it is I myself. Touch, touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of uh, bro a broiled fish. They took it and he ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins uh, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left and was carried up into the heavens. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising God. This is the word of God. This is the account of the resurrection from, from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at this today a little more in depth. We're not going to obviously pull the whole thing apart, but there are, there are certain elements in this that I think are very important for us to get and, and to see. Uh, today's title of the sermon is, is Why He Rose. Why He Rose. And we're going to look at three different things of reasons that He rose that we see here clearly in Scripture. Uh, and, and, and that should impact you and I, okay? So number one, why He rose he rose to rescue you from sin and death. 
He rose to rescue you from sin and death. How about those descriptors? Do you see any descriptors in there as I read? <clears throat> if you look at Luke 24 and you go through the entire thing, I, I wrote them all down. Here, here's the attitude, here's the, the, um, the, the heart of what's going on in the disciples who believe they have a dead Savior. Now, as I read these, I want you to be able to relate to this. Because all of these descriptors in some way have, have impacted our own lives. And maybe still do for some of you. But if you are deeply disturbed or deeply impacted by these things, and this is how you live, it is very likely that you, like the disciples at that moment, were, were trusting in a dead Savior. You, you might have a dead Savior that you are relying on. And if you do, that dead Savior is worth nothing. Here are the descriptive words that were used. They were perplexed. They were terrified. They were confused. They, they were forgetful. They were inattentive. They were not understanding. They were unbelieving. They were argumentative. They were discouraged. They were sarcastic. They, were, they had been inconvenienced. They were lost. They were foolish. They were slow to believe. They were insecure. They were shocked. They were troubled. They were doubting. That's what describes the disciples who were in, in the room gathered together wondering what is going to happen. Jesus is dead. And I'm sure if, if you went further than that, there's a lot of blame. Well, if you would have done that, or if, if I would have not just got the ear and chopped off the head, maybe Jesus would have been, you know, that's what Peter's probably going through. You think about all the blame games, all the arguments that can go on. And, and you think about the disciples of Jesus kind of being a ragtag group of guys, right? And gals. There's, there's probably a little bickering that goes on, I'm guessing. And, and, and as you see this, there's going to be a change from all of these descriptors to something else here shortly. And we understand that it's because Jesus rose from the grave. That's the, the pivot point. That's the turning point. I want to look at a passage here, or part of, part of Luke chapter uh, 24, verses 44 to 47. So we see these descriptors of, of those who have dead saviors, and, and that, that really those are descriptors of, of you and I who are lost in sin and, and trying to find our own way and trying to make ends meet on our own and, and trying to be our own savior. We, we just can't do enough. It never really pans out. And we're, felt, we're left feeling perplexed and terrified and confused and shocked and doubting and troubled. Right, and all of the other words. But here, here's what Mark, or it's not Mark, Luke chapter 24 says, verse 47. He told, these, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in, the, in Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He told them this. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. Well, what good would that be? What, what does that do for me? The Messiah would suffer and rise on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. What's being proclaimed? That Jesus Christ suffered and paid your debt and he rose victoriously conquering sin and death once and for all. That if you and I would turn from our own dead Savior to the, him, the living one, that we would find forgiveness and real life and hope. That's why he rose. That's why he rose. 
Romans chapter 3 says this in 22 and 23. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we're all in the same boat. You and I, all of us are in the same boat. We have all sinned and separated ourselves from God. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. And so we, have, we, we aren't immune to that. The Bible says that, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God's righteousness can be achieved by good works? No, not at all. God's righteousness is achieved through faith in Jesus Christ. So while you and I are not right at all, and while we have all sinned and separated ourselves from God, God has offered himself through Jesus Christ as the propitiation, right? The, he, he died in my place as the atonement for my sin and for your sin, that through faith in Christ, we could be made righteous. His suffering produces righteousness in us. Going further, though, it says the wages of sin is death. In, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, what we owe or what we get, right, what we deserve for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we, the, the, the verse we just read a minute ago talked about that we have all sinned and we can be made righteous through faith in Christ. So there's a righteousness that's, that's given, granted to us by Jesus as we put our faith in him and his suffering. So his suffering can grant righteousness, but his, what, his resurrection, his, that he's alive now, can give us eternal life. I want you to think for a minute what it would mean if Jesus hadn't risen. Great, he died for your sins. And he stayed dead. And if Jesus Christ stays dead, then who else stays dead? Everybody. It really doesn't matter, does it? It's amazing how we followed so many dead saviors who will never really produce the assurance and security that we desperately need. This is the difference here. When we talk about life, and you may be there now today, you might be in, like, I really want my life to pan out. I want it to work out. I want everything to come together. I want to really live my best life now. I want that. And what Jesus said, it isn't about that. He's like, I died and then rose again so you could have assurance of your best life later. Not now. And, and when you have assurance of your best life later because Christ rose for you and he's granting you eternal life, which means life beyond this life, can you imagine that for a minute? Eternity? Like how long that's going to be? I, 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 I get overwhelmed thinking about that. I'm like, God, please don't make it forever. I just, I don't think I could last, right? No, it's forever. It's, for, it's forever. And, and it, it goes on and on. And when you think you got to the end, it's that much more again, right? So how, how much of, of eternity is, is this life that we live right now? Like you blink and it's done, right? But we spend so much time focused on here. So much time focused on right now. So much time focused on my best life now. And Jesus is like, that's nothing. Just, just wait till you see what I have in store for you. And my, my resurrection was not for your best life now. It's for your best life forever. And that's what he wants us to trust in is him forever. Suffering was for our our righteousness, and for our sins. And his resurrection was to give us eternal life. Life. Romans 6 says this, if we 
If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all time. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus rose to give us a resurrection. That we would be dead to sin and dead to death and we would be free to obey and free to love Him and we would be able to rise with Him on that last day as well. There is hope and there is power in Christ over sin and death and over our doubts and our despair and our discouragement and our confusion. There is hope over that. But it is not found in a dead Savior. It is found in the risen Savior. What does this living, risen Savior say to us? What does he invite us to? Matthew chapter 11. Just come to me. Think about this. this, is, this I think this is probably what was said by Jesus again in this room with his disciples. I mean, you know there's so many more conversations that weren't recorded in Scripture, right? But he probably reiterated this again to them. He says, come to me. You, I know you feel dejected and you feel confused and terrified and forgetful and, and, and you're, you're un, unbelieving, you're doubting, all these things. I know you're feeling this way. I know you have this burden upon yourself and you're trying to find, find hope in, in the dead Savior, but I'm alive, he says. He says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus want to give us? Rest. His righteousness, he wants to give us eternal life. He wants to give us rest. And I guarantee you that's what the disciples wanted. While they're in that room, they're just like, I just, I just need a reprieve here. I need, I need a, a, some semblance of peace here. What did Jesus say when he stood in the room? Peace be with you. He knew they needed rest. He knew they needed peace because their hearts were reeling in grief and confusion. But you see, Jesus, he's about making things new and giving us life. In fact, he said this in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what he said next. And I want, you to, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe this? Is what Jesus asks. Do you believe this? That's what it takes. Faith, belief, that he is the resurrection, that, that he is the life, that he is not a dead Savior, that he is a risen Savior, and that he can make all things new. Because if you say, yes, I believe this, he will make you new. He will forgive your sin. He will cleanse you and wipe your sins as far as the east is from the west. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll make them, he'll make them white as snow. When you say, yes, I believe this, he makes all things new. He gives you forgiveness, he gives you eternal life, and he gives you rest. But if you say no, you say no, I don't believe that, then you are just back to your dead saviors again. Your dead, disappointing saviors. Say yes. Why else did he rise? Number two, for hope and for joy. Go back to Luke 24. 
He rose for hope and for joy. <coughs> Excuse me. If you look at verse 30 through 41 in Luke 24. As he reclined at the table with them, he, he took the bread and, and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road explaining the scriptures to us? And then that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Now this is, this is interesting. Just, we'll pause there for a second. You think about this reaction, right? They, they were on the road and they're, they're talking with this unknown person at the time about the Messiah, and he's proving himself over and over. He's saying that this Messiah should have suffered and died and risen from back to life. Uh, here's all, all the scriptures that point to that. They got seven miles to talk through this stuff, all right? And, and so he's, they're doing that, and, and, it, and what they realize is their hearts are burning. There's, there's like this joy inside of them that they can't shake. It's amazing to them that they, that they are being encouraged and that they're finding some kind of peace and hope because that comes from Christ. And they finally realized that once he broke the bread, and, and it's back to right, the Passover feast that Jesus was there, and what did he do? He broke the bread and said, this is my body and this is my blood. And what, and what happened? It said they remembered. They remembered. Oh, wow. And it brought this joy inside of them. Their hearts were full. And they were so full, in fact, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. It was evening. They're, they're heading there in the dark. They don't even care. They're going. What? What? That is not terrified, doubting people, right? That's not that whole list of descriptors. That is now something is different. Something is different. And so they gathered together. They found the 11, and, the, and they said, the Lord has truly been raised. He's not a dead Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. And then as they were there, they're, they're breaking bread. Or he talked about what happened when he broke bread. He said, as they were saying these things, then what? He himself stood in their midst. He himself stood in their midst. You think I was dead. You think I'm dead. You think you serve a dead Savior. You do not. I am alive. He said, peace to you. What brings peace? The risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's who brings peace. That's it. He said, peace to you. And they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Of course, like Jesus is dead. I saw him die on a cross. I'm... I'm I'm eating something bad, bad fish, right? And I don't know, I can't, I'm having a hallucination here. He's like, no, no, no. He goes on, he's, he's like, why are you troubled, he said. Why are, why are there doubts that arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Just like, I'm the real deal. It's me, I'm real, I'm risen. And all the fears and doubts seem to fade away. Because he is alive. And having said this, they, they show, or he showed them his hands and feet, but they were still, uh, they were still amazed and in, and in dis disbelief because of their joy. Kind of a clunky, weird verse. Like, wait, they were amazed and in disbelief because of joy? You, you ever hear like, that's ah, too good to be true. Right? And usually if something's too good to be true, it's, it's not true right it's too good to be true this they thought this is that's where they're at this is just too good to be true their joy was welling up but they're like wait a minute this can't even be possible right it was too good to be true to them but it was true it was indeed true he rose he rose for real hope 
He rose for real faith. He rose for real joy that you and I could have. Now, there were some that would say, oh, no, there was no resurrection. He didn't rise. And I want to look at what Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians because it's it's super important for us to understand. We're here today for a reason. And and, and all of us have probably different reasons, but mainly it's Easter Sunday, and maybe it was because your mom made you come. I don't know. Or maybe because Easter's the day you go to church. Okay, right? But, But a day is a dead Savior. Jesus is the risen one. So uh, maybe you're here because this is the best day of the year for you. You love Easter Sunday. You love celebrating the resurrection with your church family. It's like, no matter what, I'm going to church, right? We're all here for different reasons, though. But, but if something is not true about Christ, namely the resurrection, then you and I are wasting our time. And we shouldn't have showed up here at all. But let me read what Paul says. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? That's what some are saying. They're, oh, no, there's no resurrection. You, when you die, you die. You just go into, you're with the ants and worms. Done. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is a logical argument he's making, right? Like, if you say there's no resurrection, then Christ couldn't have been raised. And if Christ hadn't been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. You see the reasoning here? If Jesus didn't rise, then all this mumbo-jumbo about Jesus and all this hope in Jesus is false. It's all fabricated. It's going nowhere because there's no hope in a dead Savior. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. We just said that, right? He's he's making this argument. If you don't believe there's a resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. This goes back to point number one. right? He rose to rescue you from sin and death. The suffering didn't just, his suffering on the cross didn't just end your sin. It had to come through the resurrection. Death can't defeat death. Life defeats death. And, and it goes, Paul goes on here. Uh, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've also perished. They're, they're in the ground. If we put our hope in Christ for this life only, meaning there's no resurrection, if we put our, our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Do you, do you know that people look at us with pity? They, they pity us. They, they look, oh, look at those people going to church, talking about Jesus. Did he even ever exist? He's dead. He, never, he doesn't do anything for anyone. And they're right if he did not rise from the dead. You are wasting your Sundays if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But what do we know? He rose from the dead. If, if, if Jesus didn't rise... If we're, if we're putting our trust in him only for this life, we're to be pitied more than anyone. That sounds like a list of those descriptors again, doesn't it? Terrified, uh, perplexed, confused, forgetful, inattentive, not understanding, foolish, slow to believe, argumentative, discouraged, sarcastic, shocked, troubled, and doubting. That's what we'd be if we didn't have a risen Savior. But God raised Christ from the dead, and now we have hope and joy. 
I want to take us, uh, and you can turn there if you'd like to, uh, in Acts chapter 1. Keep your ribbon here in Luke 24. And actually, right at the end of Luke 24, uh, in, in verse 52, this is now Christ has ascended, and he told them, Go to Jerusalem. Right? I've risen and I've risen, and go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. There's going to be power coming toward, toward you. And as you do that, uh, it's going to be amazing what happens out of that, but, but I'm alive. And it said, after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great what? Joy. Joy. So we, we have this picture of the apostles, the disciples, before his resurrection, which was all that list of descriptors, all, all dejected and discouraged and doubting. And now we see Christ in the flesh, and their hearts are burning, and God gives them peace, and they go away with great joy. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see this continuation of basically Luke 24. Luke uh, wrote both Luke and Acts. And it says, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day to journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they had been staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Look at verse 14. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is really important. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but this unity they shared was not what they were sharing in the room before they saw Jesus rise. There was not unity. There was division. There was not joy. There was discouragement. There was blame and arguing and shame going all around those rooms. And in fact, you see people like uh, the women and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then his brothers, who, who at some point were all against Jesus saying, listen, you're crazy. We need to take you to a loony bin. You need to stop saying these things. That's what they were saying about Jesus. And then he died for it. But now he's alive. And what happens? All of those things have melted away. And there is unity, and there is peace, and there is joy in the midst of the believers. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Listen, for you and I, as we go through this life, if you're a believer, a Christian, you and I, there's going to be struggles. We're going to struggle. We're going to have hardships in life. That's, that's a no, no doubter. But he has overcome. And, and he is greater than all of those struggles. In fact, he, he struggled the most for us. And whatever struggle we're facing, he went through a harder one. And he's promised that whatever struggle we're facing, he will struggle in it with us. But the promise is greater is the one who's living in us than he that is in the world. That we have a Savior who has died and risen to life for us, for our hope, for our peace. These apostles had all returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually praising God. It was a change in their tune, wasn't it? Peter mentions this in 1 Peter 1. He talks, I think it elaborates a bit more why it's so why it's so much joy, why there's so much unity in this, why there's so much hope in this, why those things can all melt away that are discouragements because we're in Christ. He says in 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth. New birth, newness, right? Into a living hope. A living hope. Not a dead hope. 
Not a man I really hope it works out, but a living hope. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that's imperishable. That means it won't rot. An inheritance that's undefiled. That means it's, it's pure. Way better than anything you could come up with. An inheritance that is unfading. It, it won't wear out. And an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. And an inheritance that's secure. That, that's what this living hope is producing for us. Something that won't rot, that's pure, that won't wear out, that's secure. You are being guarded by God's power. God's power. What power? The same power that what? Raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You're, you're being guarded by God's power through faith. See, it's not about your power. It's not about how strong you are or how, how, how well you are at figuring everything out. It's not about that at all. It's about God's power. It's about God's power resting on you and, and lifting you up. I prayed for that today for me. I, I prayed every Sunday, but man, I feel like a truck ran over me, right? I'm like, God, in my weakness, I need you to be strong because I feel like passing out right now. It's about God's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I have so many of you praying for me and praying over me. I, I, I knew I, I could preach. I, we were at a conference this last uh, couple weeks ago, and one of the speakers, he was talking about preaching and how, what a privilege it is and what an honor it is to be preaching the Word of God and, and the total counsel of Scripture. And he said, if you're a pastor, you never, ever call in sick. You crawl in sick. That, that, <laughs> I've thought about that many, many times the last few days. And I did it today. I crawled in sick by the power of God. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And what does that produce? We have this living hope. We have this imperishable, undefiled, unfading, secure uh, inheritance by God's power. What does that produce? You rejoice in this. Joy. It, he rose to bring hope and joy. Yes, there's going to be things that are going to be discouraging, but, but God is bigger. But God is better. He is alive. Those things that, that led you to be discouraged, they will fade away and be gone, but God will not. You rejoice in this even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and trials. So you're still rejoicing over your grief to so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which is though perishable, refined by fire, might result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, we're going to have trials, but He's bigger than those. And our joy and our hope in what He has secured is bigger than those trials. As though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice. You rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is, going, this is going to eternity again. Not talking about your best life now. It's talking about forever, isn't it? Jesus has got you covered for forever. And when we're covered for forever, this life seems a little bit easier to bear. Because it's just about that long. He rose for hope and joy. Number three, finally, why did he rise? He rose to rise and to reign. He rose to rise 
and to reign. Let's go back to Luke 24. We'll look at verse 50. <clears throat> okay, so he, led, he says he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and, and while he was blessing, blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Well, Jesus couldn't just rise to heaven if he didn't rise from the grave. He rose from the grave so he would rise into heaven, and he rose into heaven to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father, and again to send us who? The Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter, the one that would empower us and the church would grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I go so the counsel of the Holy Spirit can come and be here. And now we, what we see after this is what happens at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He is alive. He's alive to, to rise and to reign. Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets and at different times and in different ways. In these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him the heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Wow, that's impressive. Right? What we're seeing here is that, that God has given all authority to Jesus. And all authority is in Jesus. In fact, Nothing was made without him. We see that in Colossians as well. There's a, a, a section called the preeminence of Christ. But that he is the heir of all things. Like all things belong to him and all things were made through him. And he's the exact representation of God's glory and nature. And he sustains all things by his power. This is Christ. Then it, it says this, at the last part of this, in verse, in verse three. After making purification for sins. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about him going to the cross, offering himself as the perfect lamb sacrifice after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what does it mean? It means that if he died, he had to rise in order to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high, right? He rose from the grave. He's alive. And after he made purification, let's back up. After he was in the beginning and nothing was made without him, after he was from forever, he put on human flesh so that he could die in my place and in your place. The eternal God put on human flesh to die for you and to die for me. And after he did that, after he made purification for our sins, what did he do? He rose victoriously from the grave because he's the inf infinite eternal God. And what did he do? He sat down on his throne again, right where he belongs, right where he has always been. He's alive. He's alive to rightfully reign over all things. And that includes you. And that includes me. Do you understand rightfully reign? I, I just explained that, right? That he's the, he's the creator of the cosmos. And the one who came as a baby to rebuke you and I that we could never achieve what he, what he was offering through his death and resurrection. The creator of the cosmos died a sinner's death in your place and in my place. He is the one who's the rightful ruler. There are a lot of people who come, well, I'll lead you, I'll lead you, I'll, you should elect me, I'll, I'll be the ruler. 
Can we trust those earthly rulers? No. In fact, when, when God uh, set up David, or, or actually uh, Saul, to be a king over Israel, Samuel, Samuel told the people, I, you should not be doing this. Only God should be king over you. Only God. There's no man that's going to do it. But since you have to have someone, God will do that. And it was trouble ever since, wasn't it? The only true God, the true king that we should have is God. And he is the rightful reigning majesty over all. And that includes you. The question is, will you let him? <clears throat> will you let him? I think so. so we we kind of stop. Oh yeah, he, he died for me and he, he forgave me and it's great how, how wonderful Jesus is. And yeah, there's joy and hope because I get to go to heaven. I have fire insurance, right? I'm not going to hell. But then we stop and say, Jesus Christ rose from the grave to rise and reign also. Which means you and I have a Lord, not just a Savior, but a Lord who wants to guide us in all things, who wants us to obey Him in all things, who will always do what is right, always, even if we don't understand it. Are you letting Him be your Lord? Is He your Lord? Will you let Him? After all, He died for you. He rose for you. He defeated death for you so you could have life. Matthew 28, He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All authority. In fact, in Philippians 2, we see what God, how God treats the Son because of his sacrifice. He says, uh, when he had come as a man, Jesus, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross, for this reason, God, what reason? For the point that he came and was obedient to death. Because Jesus died. For that reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, even yours, especially yours, especially mine. We are not God. We like to be. We, we'll capitulate that, oh yeah, all these other kings are inferior. They're, they're not the best. But when it comes to really like talk about our relationship with the Lord, we put ourselves as the supreme God in that relationship. And we are not. He gave the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's not one dead Savior that you'll have to answer to. Not one. Any of the dead Saviors you're worshiping or you idolize or you think are going to rescue you, you will not have to answer to one of those. Why? Because they're dead. They can't hear you. They can't talk to you. They can't see you. There's not one. There is one we will give an answer to that we will bow down before. It is only Christ. And either we will bow in fear or we will bow in faith and enjoy before him. I want to read one last passage if you turn with me into the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. This is a revelation from God to, uh, to John. And, uh, and John is seeing some interesting imagery. We'll see a little bit of that here in a minute. But John also, we see and know, has a relationship with Christ. And so there's not, there, there's God, Jesus, you'll see, dispels the fear. And we'll see that here in a second. So Revelation 1, beginning in verse 12. And I, think, I want you to think about your response to Christ. When you stand before him, the question is going to be, what did you do? Hey, you were Easter Sunday in 2023, and 
Brandon said that Jesus was alive and he'd save you from your sin and he could be the, the one that gives you hope and joy and that, that you would have life in him and fullness in him and that you would, you would make him your Lord and let him reign over you. Let's look at the picture. Verse 12. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a white robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet was like fawn, or fine bronze, and, uh, and it was fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars on his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Oh, man. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is powerful. You know what Jesus Christ is going to say at the end? Hey, I'm the alive one. Everyone else is a dead Savior. I'm the alive one. What did you do with me? And for John, he's, like, he's freaked out, right? He's like terrified, which he should be. And he falls flat down. And, and because he had a relationship with Jesus, because he put his faith in Jesus Christ, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, it's okay, buddy. Come, I got you. Don't be afraid. You, you, don't, you don't have anything to fear. I, I, I invited you to come and find rest, and you have rest in me. Don't be afraid. I, and I'm the one, I'm the one, right? I, you trusted in me. I'm the one. I'm the alive one. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever. And, and, I, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. I, I'm the alive one who, who gives you security in your faith because you've trusted in me. You don't have to be afraid. But, but for some you will have to be afraid. For some, you'll stand before Jesus having worshipped dead saviors all your life and rejected the, rejecting the risen Christ. And you'll stand before God and then you'll fall on your face before God saying, I'm dead meat like he did, terrified like a dead man because you will be, in fact, dead. And you will have died in your sin, not ever coming to that invitation to Christ to say, come and find rest. Come and find forgiveness. Come and find hope, and joy in Him who is the risen Savior. And there will be no excuse. There will be no more chances. But the one who is alive, who was dead and is alive forever and ever, and the one who holds the keys to Hades, will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That, that's, that's powerful. I, I, we have a Savior who is compassionate and gracious and loving and desires that you come to Him and find rest in Him and find forgiveness in Him and find hope and joy in Him. This, sound, this sounds wonderful. I don't want to be on that list with the dejected and discouraged and the doubting. I, I don't want to be there. I want that to melt away and have found rest for my soul in Jesus Christ. And I have. I found that. I have a, I have a living hope and you can have that too. It's imperishable. Right? It's secure. That's what he offers all of us. 
as we close our time, here's my hope for you today. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on back up now. And, and actually, today we're going to have some, some prayer partners that are going to come up in front. And they're going to be standing like right here and right there. I have Mike and Jeannie and Christine and Alistair. They're going to come forward here. And they're just spread out up front. And I, I just, I want you to, to be encouraged to come and, and have prayer. Come down and, and ask them to pray for you. Or maybe you're like, I have been resisting Jesus and I need Jesus. Come talk to them. Come, come let them pray with you and encourage you and support you in that. Or maybe you've been serving like, and still following uh, dead saviors and you haven't put Jesus as the ruler of your life. You're like, yeah, he's my savior, but he's, I haven't really made him Lord. I have a hard time with that. Come and get prayer for that. They're not gonna go tell the world. They just wanna be here to pray for you. Right? But, but here's my hope for you today. If, if you do not feel re- reassured about the prospect of standing before Christ one day, if you don't feel, feel reassured about that, then put your faith and hope in him today. Put your faith and hope in him today. Believe. Turn to him and trust in him for what he has done for you. He did not only die for you and was buried, he rose victoriously for you to conquer sin and death once and for all. Stop running after dead saviors that disappoint and find rest in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now for those of you who who do have faith in Christ, which is probably a lot of you, my hope for you today is that your faith would swell knowing that you have already been brought from death to life and that the joy of the Lord would be your strength as you are bombarded, bombarded with all of the false and dead saviors the world wants to throw at you. And it's all the time. It's constant. It's a barrage. Let Christ rule and reign in your heart and in your life today and always. Let's stand together. I'm going to go and pray for us. And and after I pray, this is a time now to respond from our heart, right? We're we're going to reflect, we're going to respond, and we're going to rejoice. The reflection part is I'm going to pray right now. And and you should be praying too. And then the worship team is going to start a song. And they're just going to keep it an instrumental for a few. Just let it it kind of sink in and let let us think and let us reflect on, on what God has done for us through Christ Jesus and His resurrection. And then they're going to start up that worship song and, and we're going to be able to respond in, in, in praise and in, in prayer or maybe in, in coming forward and, and talking to one of these up here and, and having some prayer time together. What, however you need to respond. For the first couple songs, they'll be up here and available for you uh, to pray. and would love for, to, for you to do that while they're here, okay? Then after that, we'll, we'll end with one last final song of total rejoicing. Let's go ahead and, and pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are a risen Savior. If you were not risen, we should be pitied more than anybody. But you are risen. You are risen indeed. And you have conquered Satan, sin, and death once and for all. And God, you are inviting us to find rest and hope in you that will find forgiveness and strength, that will find a a peace and a living hope that will, will never, ever fade away, even in spite of our circumstances and what goes on in our life. Let us let you rule and reign over our hearts as the risen Savior today. We pray it all in Jesus' name.